Welcome to the Solomon's Porch Podcast, the podcast from the worship experience of Solomon's Porch at Valdosta First United Methodist Church. We want you to be encouraged and inspired in your faith journey. So sit back and relax, unless you're driving or using heavy machinery, and enjoy. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you beautiful people and the rest of you. Um, Welcome again to our, our friends from Taiwan, our students that are here, and a special thank you to our church uh, family who have sponsored these folks and spent the weekend with them. So would you all say welcome again to our friends from way across the pond, like all the way around the pond. So how do you say hello in Taiwanese? Anyone know? Say again. Mi hao. Mi hao. No? Close, maybe? Close enough? Close enough? Okay. I mean, I didn't want to say, like, your mom's ugly or something and accidentally, so I'm going to just make sure we said it right. So, welcome. We're glad that you're here. So, we just started this uh, 40 days leading up to Easter called Lent. L-E-N-T, not L-I-N-T. It's not what you, you know, you clean out the filters or what's in your belly button. It's Lent, L-E-N-T, and it's the 40 days leading up to Easter. It's the Easter, the big celebration. And um, this past week, we had Ash Wednesday. We had our, our, our drive-through ashes. Uh, we were, we set up in a parking lot over in Baytree, and it was really cool to have people come through there and receive ashes. And then we had our service that night in the sanctuary, and it was the beginning of Lent. And some of you maybe have... Uh, been a part of a church, grown up in a church where you celebrated Lent, and others of you are going, I've heard the word, but I've never, I don't really know a lot about it, and some of you are saying, huh? And, and so we're all kind of in this place, and so today as we start this series, it's going to lead us all the way up to Easter, and we're talking about up, so today and next week we're going to talk about giving up, then we're going to talk about taking up, and you saw, you saw the video, we're looking at these different words. I want today to, to talk um, really to give a kind of a brief overview of what Lent is and then offer you something, offer you a couple of things for you to consider in this season. Because some of you have already said, yeah, I know what I'm doing for Lent. I've already decided I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to stop doing this or I'm going to start doing that. And that's really great. And others of you are saying, I, I don't really know what it is, so how can I participate in it? Um, I looked up online this week, what are some of the, because when you talk about Lent, one of the things that people do is they give something up for Lent. We're talking about giving up today. And I went online and I looked to see what are the things that we, that, that are kind of more popular that have been given up. You want to know what number one is? Actually, not yet, but it was close. Chocolate. Chocolate. Social media is working its way up, but right now, still, chocolate has been holding that top spot for, for many, many years. For a lot of people, they're giving up chocolate for Lent. Another one that's in, in that line is a carbonated drink, you know, Coke, you know, premium Dr. Perky, whatever it is that you buy, you know, that, those, those carbonated drinks, that's a big one that a lot of people give up for Lent. Um, the other one is uh, TV, and starting to make its way on the chart is social media, and that's one uh, Jessica and JD mentioned is that they've given up social media for Lent because they found that they would find themselves, you know, just out of just any spare moment, just start scrolling, right? None of us do that, no, not at all, especially not in the car, because that's illegal, right? So, um, but, but this is so, a lot of people give these things up, and that's great, it really is, it's great. I have a question, if you were to ask God to tell you 
what would be beneficial to you to give up for Lent, what might it be? It might be chocolate, or he might have been like, hey, you've got 340, you know, 325 other days you can handle chocolate. You know, maybe something else. You know, oh, the TV thing. Like, I wonder if you were to say, God, will you show me one thing I could give up for Lent? He might show you something a little bit different than, than what's on that most popular list. Now, if that's something you're doing, no shame. Do it, do it well, do it for the glory of God. But I think that's an interesting question to ask is, what would God like for me to give up? And here's the deal. When we give something up, it's not just to say we gave up, but what can we put in its place? What can we replace it with? Because the whole point of Lent is for us to be reminded, starting with Ash Wednesday, leading up to Easter, those 40 days of, of the journey that Jesus went through to pay for our sins. See, we're all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of one who comes and says, the life you've lived I, I want to redeem it. I want to make it new. I want to make it holy. And Jesus set this, set this in place. And so what can we do in this, in this journey that would draw us back to Jesus? What are some things that have been distracting to us in our journey of faith? What are things that keep us from really giving focus? Because we're easily distracted, we're people who are easily distracted. Even right now, sitting in a room, it's real easy to get distracted. What, it, what can we put our, our focus back on, on Jesus? And so I want us to talk about this today briefly, just, just for a few minutes before being the first Sunday of the month, we're going to participate in this beautiful sacrament of Holy Communion. And, and I don't think there's a better time that we could talk about this idea of giving up as we share this meal together this morning. Now, here's what I'm thinking about um, with Lent. Giving up something that maybe we don't need because we already have a lot of it. Excess. Uh, we're talking about giving up excess today. I have this crazy infatuation with tiny houses. Now, and I'm telling you, I liked them before they were ever on TV, like, I, I've read books, and I get emails, and I get little blog things about tiny houses before it was on DIY or HDTV. I'm just, I, there's just something about tiny house living that is just, it, I'm like, oh, that would be so cool if, you know, if I were still single, or if I, you know, if I were wanting to travel around, like, I just think about this, and, and I kind of daydream about it a little bit, and Drew usually says, that's a great idea, honey, and you can put it in the backyard, and Mallory and I will live in a regular size house, <laughs> so, because he's just like, uh-uh, ain't gonna happen, but I just love the thing, and here's the deal, I don't really know if it's about, like, I want to live in 175 square feet, if that really gets me. I think what it is, is that I like the simplicity of it. I like the simplicity that would be required if you're actually going to live in a tiny house because you're going to have to get rid of a lot of stuff if you wanted to live in one of these things. I'm always, I'm always, uh, I always laugh when I watch one of these shows, and they, it's called like tiny house living or tiny house hunting or whatever, and the people walk in and they go, oh, it's so tiny. It's like, I know, that's why it's called, that's, that the show is called, why are you so surprised that it's tiny? But there's something about the simplicity of it and the doing away, because when I think about it, I'm just like, oh yeah, because I have so much stuff. I have so much stuff. 
And, and I'm just JV compared to some of you folks because you got serious stuff. I'm just junior varsity stuff. Some of you are varsity stuff. But I mean, we've got stuff. And we've got, we've got platters and bowls. We'll never put food in. We'll just put other bowls and platters in them because they fit. And we've got, we just have, we have clothes and we have pictures and trinkets and we've got stuff and stuff. And the irony is not lost on me that I spent about three hours yesterday finishing up uh, s- some little details on a shed that I got for my husband for Christmas because our utility room and our carport is full. So the irony is not lost on me of the excess that we have in the Patterson household. But I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm drawn to the simplicity of it. See, we're talking about giving up excess. I'm one of those people that has an empty email inbox. We're going to have a prayer healing service for those of you with 435 unopened emails at the end of today's service. We'll throw some oil and incense or whatever needs to be done to help you work through this. See, I, I'm, I'm a simp- I want that simple. And some of us, we have excess upon excess upon excess. Uncluttered. Now, here's what I want to share with you today, a passage out of Luke chapter 4. Jesus understands giving up. See, when we talk about Lent, Jesus understands Lent. Jesus understands um, giving up. He fully understands this. The, the passage I'm about to read to you, to set it up, he had just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. He'd just been baptized, and this, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is present, and it's just this amazing moment in his life. And and this is the beginning of his earthly ministry. This is the beginning. This is the launching point of of him going out into the world and sharing the good news that he has come to be the savior of the world. But before, so in between the baptism and him uh, calling his disciples, Jesus has a 40-day giving up, a 40-day fast, a 40-day of doing without. So he totally gets it. He goes into the wilderness. He goes into the desert for 40 days. And here's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and it says this. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. I have no concept of what that must, what that must have been like. Um, for him to be... Tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became obviously very hungry. Okay, so he was fasting. He was not eating. He was doing without. He was, he was giving up. I mean, I wouldn't even say excess. He was giving it all up and turning his focus towards God. And then in verse 3, in Jesus' weakened state and without food, and it says this, The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. So obviously you're hungry, Jesus. If You just speak the words and that stone will turn into bread and you can eat all you want. And then Jesus responded in verse 4, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Jesus is saying, no, I, not only am I doing without, but I, am, I, am, I know what my Father desires. I know what my Father says. I know what the scriptures say. And he had an answer for the temptation. And then it says this, the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
See, again, this is one of those things you can't really wrap your mind around, but in, in, you know, only like a Hollywood movie would might even kind of get close to giving us the idea of, of Satan taking Jesus up to be able to see across time all the kingdoms of the world like that, just quick. And he says to him this, after he gives him this view, um, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. If you'll give me my word, if you'll give me the worship that you're giving to God, give it to me, Satan says. And verse 8, Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. See, Jesus has removed himself, he has, he has given up, he's given up food, he's given up focus, and he's saying, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to be in the presence of God. He came to be in an actual, we call this communion, he's actually communing with God, their connection, their intimacy is real. There are no distractions, and, and now in this, in this moment and in this time, he is tempted and he's able to stand up against temptation. Some of us think fasting from chocolate for 40 days is difficult. Jesus understood fasting from bread, fasting from food. He understands this. This was a sacrifice to him. And he was there. He was preparing himself to be in ministry for God, actually for us. So here he is, he's about to embark on the most revolutionary ministry that's ever taken place in the world, and he's tempted. First with food, always a good place to tempt people. First place to go. Then he's, he's tempted with power, with popularity, with, with, um, with uh, security and prestige and all these things, and he, and he could have accepted them. Think about this, Jesus in that time could have accepted them and lived in the excess of that stuff forever, but he didn't. His answer was to remain tuned into God, to turn towards God, and he rejected excess in favor of the simplicity of worshiping God. Think about that for a minute. And in doing so, what he did is he chose all of us instead of himself. See, when you start to, to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a life that's not about excess and not about distraction and not about everything... See, all those things, whether we know it or not, are actually very self-focused. They're very inward. They're the thing, what do I want? What do I like? What do I want to see? What do I want to eat? What do I want to experience? What do I want to do? All those are very inward things. And when you start to say, you know what, I'm going to set some of these aside, it allows us to look outward. Jesus got rid, he didn't accept excess. He, he stepped away from it all. And in the process, he made a choice for us, all of us. Why would we even be sitting here today if he hadn't made that choice? He chose all of us instead of himself. So we give up excess. It's this wonderful Lenten practice. It's, it's actually it's kind of liberating when you think about it, uh, to be able to give up something. It does. It leads us more outward than inward. I want to offer you this, uh, a couple of things um, about Lent that I think are, are helpful. Because I grew up in a, uh, in a background where um, I, wasn't, I wasn't a believer, but I was at a church, and they practiced Lent. And it was all about, all I understood about it, I'll put it that way, I'm not saying it was all it was about, but all I gathered from it, all I gleaned from watching other people, was that it was all about suffering. 
oh, I got to give this up. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, it's all just going to kind of try and make it to, to Easter, you know. And, and so I never really connected Lent and giving up with something that could be joyful, something that could be God-honoring. And it was more just about taking something away that I really like. And that's not Lent at all. That's not the purpose of Lent at all. The purpose is for us to turn our eyes towards God and, to toward, and towards others instead of ourselves, instead of me, me, me. Upward and outward. That's where we put our focus. That's where we put our eyes. That's where we let them go in Lent. That's what it's about. Not about suffering. I mean, Jesus, he understands suffering. And, and he's not calling us to, to participate in, in, in you know, being in the desert for 40 days. But we have an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to take away some things so that I can give the attention to God that he deserves. I think Jessica mentioned uh, when she was doing the announcements that one of the things that they've, you know, instead of, you know, that drawing back to the scrolling, you know, just kind of without even thinking, is doing a devotional. She's, she's, so she's not just taking something away, but she's adding something back in. See, upward and outward. When we can give up excess, that's where our eyes go. That's where our focus shifts. One of the things that I'm doing for uh, Lent that I wanted to share with you is um, I am, I'm, I'm giving something up, but I'm making sure I'm adding something in. And uh, I love music. Uh, I can't really sing at all, but I love music. I love it. There's a connection. There's power in it. That's why I love our time of worship here uh, in, in our ministry here. It's, I just love music. And one of the things I'm doing for Lent is I'm just, I'm just listening to worship music from now until Easter. And you might think, well, you're a pastor. That's probably what you're supposed to do. Um, but, thing, I mean, I love Fleetwood Mac and some police and Humphreys McGee and Eric Church. He and I mow the lawn together. And, and I love that. And, and so I, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, but I'm just going to listen to worship music. And that's what I've been doing. I actually started doing it like a week or so before Lent because I was like, why, why wait? I'm just going to go ahead and start. And I'm telling you, I have what I call singing Tourette's. I mean, it's not really diagnosed, but it's like I just bust out into song every now and then. And it's not really that controllable sometimes. And I've noticed as I've been just doing the, the worship is that's always, that's just what's, that's what I'm singing. That's what's on my mind. I get up in the middle of the night, and there's a song in my head. Any of y'all do that? There's always like a song going. It's what's in my mind. I'm just singing. I've noticed with my daughter that that's what she's singing, because that's what I'm listening to. And it's just a little thing, and it's not hardship whatsoever. But it's one of those things where I've, I've taken out one thing, and I've put in another, and I've noticed that my focus is upward and outward, more. Yesterday, trying to put a shed together, I can get a little frustrated sometimes, I'm just saying. And I was just singing and praising the Lord, I have my little music there playing, and, and I was just giving God the attention, I was giving God the focus. That's one little thing I'm doing. So I don't know what you're doing for Lent. I don't know if you've thought about doing anything. Um, I don't know if you've made any kind of decisions, but I would hope that you might consider today saying, God, I've been putting my focus, I've been putting my energy, I've been putting um, things on myself and what I want and, and what I can derive from it. And thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, see, we're easily distracted, folks. 
We're so easily distracted. So the excess of light, see, we've now removed it. And now we can give God our focus. That's what Lent is about. It's not about suffering to say you suffered. It's not about giving up something because you'd like to maybe lose a size or two in your belt, you know. Folks, Lent is about us being reminded of what Jesus has done for us and us to walk on this, this journey towards the cross. Because now as we turn our, our thought and, and our attention, our attention to this table here, I think it's really important to be reminded of a very key thing of what, of what communion represents. Because see, in communion... And y'all hear me say this quite a bit if you've, if you've been here for communion, that we get these very tangible elements of bread and, and, and juice. There's something we can taste and we can smell and we can, we can touch it, right? It, it's very, it, it gets the senses, okay? This is what communion does. God gives us this. Jesus instituted these sacraments so we would be part of it. But listen, here's what's key. We don't celebrate communion unless one thing happened. And it's that Jesus gave himself up for you and for me. He gave himself up. See, a sacrifice was required. A pure, unblemished sacrifice. Why did Jesus go into the desert for 40 days? So that he could come out on the other side and say, I'm pure, I'm holy, I have not given into temptation, my life belongs to God, I'm here to glorify him, and I'm going to now step into my ministry, and I'm going to uh, spread the good news of the gospel everywhere I go. I'm going to call up disciples, and I'm going to train them, and they're going to continue on after me to share the good news that God has come to, to, bri to bridge that gap between God and man where sin was reigning and said, Jesus comes and redeems and makes it whole. We don't celebrate this sacrament unless Jesus, the Holy One, the Pure One, the Perfect One, who did not give in to temptation, gave himself up for you and for me. That's what makes this so, so beautiful and so wonderful. So when I think about Lent and I, and I share it with you today, I just hope that you might consider doing something. If you've never done anything before, do something. If you've always done the same thing, do something else. If you know in your heart of hearts that maybe the thing that you've considered giving up or have started to and maybe you've already kind of dropped the ball on a little bit, if you know maybe it could be something more, something that might require a little more of you, why don't you do it? Jesus gave himself up for you and for me. Thanks for listening to the Solomon's Porch Podcast. We hope you heard some good practical news in this episode that you can apply to your life. If you'd like, we'd love for you to review our podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. You can also support our ministry by going to theporchvaldasa.com slash give. Until next time, stay classy listening friends.
Well, we have come now to the end of our four-part series on I Heart, and you know, we're in the church for heaven's sake. You can't start this thing without saying I Heart Jesus. And then it was about Valentine's Day, so we said, well, I heart my sweetheart. And then we talked about I heart the church and I heart my church. And now we come to the end of it because we have to be as big as God is. And God hearts the world. So we're gathered here today to talk about what it means to heart the world. Now the truth is that... uh, Casey was on to something there. And it wasn't about Harry Styles, whoever that is. But anyway, um, you know, how do we respond to the world? Well, the world has changed a lot. And it's changed a lot in our time. Sometimes we forget this isn't the first time the world has changed. It's probably the first time the world has changed this fast. But there were some remarkable times when, like, when Columbus came over and discovered the Americas. Actually, there are millions of people who had already discovered the Americas. They were living here. (laughs) It's just the Europeans discovered that they were over here. And then they had, you know, later on in the 1700s, you had, uh, well, I guess back in the 1500s, you had uh, Magellan, who was the first to sail all the way around the world. And then you had Captain John Cook who came back and brought stories of exotic islands and, you know, all this stuff. And, boy, they were just thinking, what an incredible change is going on as we're discovering this whole world. And that brought people to asking this question. What are we supposed to do about this world? Well, over in France, they just had the French Revolution Everything was being overthrown. The church was being hammered. And nobody really knew what was going to happen. But in England, some people got together and churches would get together on the first Monday of every month for an hour to pray for God to send revival. And you know what? God did something incredible. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, God did it through a preacher. Yeah, not so much. Actually, God did it through a shoemaker. And this is his picture up here. His name is William Carey. William Carey said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. William Carey had the audacity to read the Bible and to take it as God's word for them right then. Jesus gave his last command, said, go into all the world, take the gospel to every nation. Well, there were a lot of people at that time who said, okay, that was just for those first apostles. But for the rest of us now, we just are going to sit here on our blessed assurance, and we're not going to go anywhere or do anything. Well, William Carey said, no, I believe that as we're discovering this incredible world, God wants us to go and share the good news of Jesus with people everywhere. In one rather memorable or forgettable uh, meeting at which William Carey spoke up about this theme, a preacher stood up and said, Young man, sit down. When God gets ready to save the world, he'll do it without your help. 
Well, actually, God did want to save the world, and God did want Carrie's help. And Carrie said, here am I, send me. And that was just the first of a whole flood that for uh, centuries kept reaching out to a whole world who needed to know the love of Jesus. Now, William Carey and his family, his wife and four children, arrived on November 9th, 1793 in India, a nation dear to my heart. I was born there. My parents were missionaries there. But when he and his family landed, it was just a couple of months later that his wife began a mental illness that would last for the rest of her life. A few months after that, uh, their third child died. Listen, let us never think that the work of God done around the world is done without a cost. It cost God, His Son, to come to save us, and it costs still greatly for people to go and share the love of Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm just amazed by this. Did you know that many of the early missionaries to Africa would pack their belongings to send over there in a casket so they would have something to be buried in when that time came. Now that, my friends, is commitment. But what does it mean for us to heart the world? Okay, most of us aren't going and packing our stuff in caskets. What does it mean for us to care about the world the way God does? Well, let's look at probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible and one that ought to be as well-known because it follows right after it. Here it is from John 3.16. This is from the New Living Translation, so it's just a little different. It says, for this is how God loved the world. Say the next part with me. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And then we ought to know this one just as well. Read it with me. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Now, a lot of us memorized it back in the days when we had the King James Version. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... Does anybody say whosoever anymore? You know, what, is, what does whosoever mean? Everyone. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, just look up at verse 16 here. And I'm going to ask you something that is not a trick question. Right? What is the first word in that sentence? For. Now, for is an abbreviated version of therefore. And we were always taught when we read the Bible and studied the Bible that every time you see the word therefore, you ought to ask what it's there for. Corny, but it works. It's referring back to something right before this. So what was he talking about before this? Well, he was referring back to an Old Testament story in Numbers 21, 5 through 9. The people of Israel had gotten out of Egypt, but now they were wandering around in the wilderness. And I mean, it was long and it was hot. And you know what they had to eat the whole time? Manna. Does anybody know what manna means? 
Here's what the literal, tra literal translation of manna is. What is it? So the first time manna showed up on the ground, everybody went out and said, manna. Like, what is it? So they, after eating what is it for a long, long time, they were getting pretty tired of that stuff. And they were griping and whining. And here we are at the day. Well, in this whining attitude, all of a sudden, these snakes started appearing and biting the people. And people were dying. And so they came to Moses and said, hey, we're sorry, we're griping. You know, uh, what can we do? So Moses goes to God and asks him about it. God says, build or uh, make a um, bronze snake on a pole and stick it there in the middle of the camp. And whoever comes and looks at this pole with a snake on it will be cured from the snake bite. Well, there it is on the right. Now, if you look here, you've seen something similar to that on, you know, doctor's offices or on an uh, uh, emergency vehicle going by. Did, has anybody ever wondered, what's, the, what's with the snake? On, on the, well, it's referring back to this story. It's, this has always been an understanding of a, a way where God brought healing. So our physicians still use that as a, as a symbol. But if you'll see on the left, this is what Jesus was referring to. Remember the story about the snake? You know, and people look up and had faith and, you know, God healed them. He says, here's what's going to happen now. Is God in Jesus Christ will be lifted up on the cross and all those who look to him in faith will be saved. Isn't that incredible? Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is where God calls us in faith to quit trying and start trusting. And we look at Jesus and we discover there our sins are forgiven. Jesus has paid for our sins and he is raising us up to new life if we just have the faith to believe it. What an incredible story. So, Let's take a quick look back at John 3.16. It says, uh, for this is how what? God. Let's be clear. This all starts with God. I'm not, you know, we're not gathering here today for me to say, okay, everybody, now you go out and I want you to love the world. You know, that's great. This is about more than some kind of self-help deal. We're coming asking for God to put his heart in us so we can have the heart of God. Does that make sense? This is our great need. We can't heart the world the way we're supposed to. But when God gives us his heart, we can. What does God do? He loves. Love is more than just a feeling. Now, love is a good feeling, but it's something that does something. It's not just, no. you know, it's, it's something that acts. And God loves what? The world. Well, I got good news and bad news for you. The bad news is we have to love the whole world too. A little bit of good news in that is 
that means the other people that, you know, like you don't want to love them, but you have to. They probably don't want to love you, <laughs> but they have to. Okay, so God loves the whole world. And what's that love look like? He gives. And he gives his son the very best that he has so that everyone, who's included in everyone? Everyone. We don't get to exclude anybody. Do you have some people you just don't like all that well? Yeah, includes them too. You know, so everyone who believes, who looks to him in faith, will not perish. Wow, this is about eternal consequences. But in, that's what happens if you're apart from Jesus. But if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. Okay, this is, this is the heart of the gospel. And then verse 17 puts it so wonderfully. You know, God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, my, uh, my dad was a pastor. He was a pastor in a foreign country, Ohio. And uh, while my uh, dad and mom were there, they were avid supporters of missionaries. They'd often have missionary speakers come to their church and so on. Well, this one guy came who was in terrible health. So they were talking with him and, uh, you know, had him over for a meal and they were talking. And they were, he was telling about all the stuff he did. And when he told them all the stuff, they commented, well, no wonder your health is broken down. You're doing the work of two people. And he responded with these words, well, what are you going to do if the second person never comes? Well, that was the word of God to my parents. And they heard in that man's words their call to go as missionaries. Now, not everybody's called to go, but some are called. And so when they heard that word, they said, okay, God, and they went. Now, I uh, loved growing up as a missionary kid in India, and my brothers just loved it too. Uh, they have lived in uh, Korea and Taiwan. They've been out of the country uh, most of their lives. Uh, so I, I asked my precious Betty, my wife, I, I said, you know, what do you think about going as a missionary? She said, I'll write you. <laughs> now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but that communicated pretty clearly. So uh, we, uh, our calling was here in America, but Betty and I have long been advocates of being people who love the whole world. And so one of the things that God called us to, not, you know, this is just what he called us to do, was we help by giving monthly to help support missionaries on every continent in the world. So that's a cool thing. For us, is that we, there's somebody we know by name who is ministering God's grace on every continent in the world. So I wanna encourage you. Uh, here's one action step that I want to challenge every family with here in our church. Every family, because everybody can do this. Here's a challenge, that every person in our congregation should help support, you know, giving $25 a month, $50 a month, $100, whatever you can afford, that you would give that every month to support somebody specific in another country around the world who's doing the work of Christ. 
Some of you are giving through Compassion International to help change a child's life. We're going to have a Compassion Sunday coming up in a little while, and you'll be able to do that again if that's what God calls you to. But do something. You know what the worst thing would be is if we left from here and said, boy, I'm sure glad God hearts the world. Let's go get genuine Mexican food at Taco Bell. <laughs> really? This is all it means? Come on. If God so loves that he gave, we ought to give. And we can give in a lot of ways. One way is money, but that's not the only way. God may call some of us to uh, go on short-term mission trips. Our youth do that every summer. Our mid-highs, our senior highs, sometimes they go out of the country, sometimes they uh, stay in the country. Our mid-highs uh, this year are going uh, to Lowndes County. You know what? The world starts at our door. And then our senior highs are headed over uh, to New Orleans. I'm glad. It's not about this or that. It's about this and that. So wherever it is that God puts on your heart, respond in the way that he wants you to. I'm going to tell you something really ugly here. I, I, I'm a part of a disciple Bible study class that's going on. And in our class, in, in the notebook, it has what it calls our human condition. And it talks about what our real problem is. <laughs> Listen to this uh, when we were talking about reaching out. It says this, We are uncomfortable and wit about uh, witnessing about our faith to strangers and people of different religions. Even with our families and next-door neighbors, we hesitate to talk about God. We suspect the people will resent ideas that challenge their beliefs and customs. You ready for this one? This is really ugly. Besides, we're not sure if we want them to join us. I mean, how ugly is that? But isn't that the way we are? I mean, we have... Stuff like, yeah, over there in the Mideast, let's just nuke them all and let God sort them out. Well, there's a real heart of Jesus, isn't it? You know, I mean, man, did you see a Muslim? Go kill him. Great. I'm telling you, friends, this is the world Christ calls on us to be different from the world. In a Baptist church, they'd have said amen. <laughs> Listen, we need to be different. We're not called on to just be like everybody else. So I want to give you two simple things for us to do. Now, this is probably going to take you a little bit of thinking after you leave here. So I'm going to trust you on this one. But first of all, start with yourself. <laughs> Someone said, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise, so I'm changing myself. There's a good word. You know, we can only do this by humbling ourselves before God and asking Him to give us His heart. The second thing is this. Start with where you are. For most of us, we are sent, you know, y'all, I love people who sit on the front row. Y'all would be in the front row in heaven too. So, but, you know, most of you are, are in school. You know where God's called you to serve? In school. That's where he's put you. And most of us, you know, in our various places of employ employment, this is where God's called on us to serve. I have seen some of the coolest things that have gone on. Uh, matter of fact, uh, one of our good dentists, Brad Bynum, he's the first dentist in Georgia who's done this. 
gave a whole day of free dental work to uh, somebody is glad to see the dentist. Well, those, pe those people were. I mean, by the way, Brad was on the front page of the newspaper, didn't, but he didn't do it to get on the front page of the newspaper. He decided uh, by connecting, so I think they called it Smiles for Vets. I may not have the name quite right. But I mean, he gave away thousands of dollars of free dental care. Why? Well, we began that day. He invited me over since apparently I have the hotline to heaven. Y'all do know your prayers are just as good as any pastor's. But I was honored to come there. At the beginning of the day, what did we do? We prayed. And we asked God to show his favor to all these who came. I just thank God for people like that. I think about Laura Leonard, uh, who cares in our congregation for older people. She steps into places where some of our elderly just kind of are confused about how to do things. She steps in as an advocate. She will get on the phone and she'll fight the uh, credit card companies and do whatever. Why? Because she is there loving in the name of Jesus. I think about a friend, uh, a lawyer friend of mine. Some of you say, they're lawyers who are Christians? Yes. Uh, and uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, this guy, when there are people who come to him who don't have any way to pay, and from time to time he'll just say, I'll be glad to take care of that. And he does it in the name of Jesus. I think about our Rock Sunday School class that last Sunday came and prayed through the sanctuary, walked around, sat in the pews, praying over that. And when they got done, you know where they came? Right here. And they prayed over these seats where you and I are sitting. Who knows but whether the next great move of God will come among us because our kids prayed. I'm telling you, do what you can where you are. I love this precious story about a little girl who lived next door to a man whose wife just died. And the mother looked around a little later and, and the little girl was gone. And so she went running out of the house, couldn't find her anywhere. And about the time she ran out of the house, she saw her little girl coming out of the widower's home. And so she went over and, and you know, grabbed up her daughter in her arms and said, where'd you go? And she said, well, I went over to, to see our friend next door. And she said, well, what did you say to him? She said, I didn't, do, I didn't say anything. I just climbed up in his lap and helped him cry. I mean, this is what it means to be the people of God and to love the world. It means we start at the world recognizing it's right at our front door. But it means we won't stop until our concern and compassion reaches all the way around the world. So, go where God sends you and be present where he is. So here are the two things that I want to uh, let you wrestle with, and uh, I'm, I'm just praying that God will not let any of us go. First, think globally. What is God calling on you to do? You can pray. Matter of fact, at the back, I have, uh, some of you have already gotten these, but there are a couple of things. These are prayer maps. Well, I won't unfold that one. That's got too many folds to it. This is a kid's prayer map. Awesome. Parents, pray with your kids. For one thing, you parents will discover where the continents are. <laughs> All right. 
and not to put too fine a point on it, and you can teach your kids. And you can teach them how to love the world by beginning to know about the world and praying for the world. So we can pray. We can give. Give. Make a difference in the lives of somebody who is going. Maybe you, God will call you to go on a short-term mission trip. Or I, I have a friend here that I've known for many years in Valdosta. Came up to me the other day and said, well, we're selling everything and going to Guatemala to work with orphans. I was surprised. But why should I be surprised? God called them. They said, yes, they're going. I mean, whatever it is God calls you to do, think globally. But do something. And the second thing is think locally. All right, we're going to love the whole world, but what are you going to do now? You're going to care for the world that God has put right at your doorstep. So, Sydney, for you, that means you're going to have a baby and take good care of that thing. And thank you for not having that child during the service. Uh, I think that baby is due here any second. Uh, but where is it that God is calling you? It starts with letting God change us. I, I love the story about the, the rabbi who said, uh, uh, you know, he, he graduated from rabbinic school and he was ready to go. He had passion and vision. He said, I'm going to go out and change the world. And then he thought, well, that's pretty big. He said, I'm going to go out and change our country. And he said, well, that's pretty big too. I'm going to go out and change my city. He said, well, that's pretty big. He said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and change my street. And he thought, well, that's pretty big. He said, I'm going to go out and change my family. He said, that's pretty big. So he said, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and change myself. This is where it starts, by letting God do his work in our heart, by letting him give his heart to us. That's why we come to Jesus. He is the one who gives us a new heart and a new life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that for every one of us, for the person who's been here for years and years, and for the person who just walked in here today, you are here to meet every one of us. Every one of us is a part of the world that you gave your son for, so we want to respond by giving ourselves back to you. And it may be, Father, that the way somebody here is going to start loving the world is by giving their life to you today. And boy, what a win that is. I mean, that they get to start a whole new life and that you make them brand new and you begin to put your heart into them. And would you do that for us all? That we might be faithful and we might have a whole new way of viewing the world. Help us to see the world the way you do so we can love the world the way you do. So God, speak to us. Thank you for including us in your love. Give us hearts big enough to include the world that you love so passionately. In Jesus' name, amen.